Hello, everybody. Oh, it is. Ah, it's so nice to be back with everybody. Uh, I am Kyle Serlo. Welcome back to another edition of the Golf Guide Podcast. A pleasure to be with you again. Um, you know, we got a nice, tight, sweet little podcast for you guys today. Got to go over so, a little bit of news going on in the uh, the world of golf. Uh, and then uh, in the latter portion of the podcast, I'm going to talk about my experience at the new South Course uh, at Corica Park, which is a new uh, municipal uh, golf course uh, located in the East San Francisco Bay Area on the island of Alameda, very close to the Oakland Airport. So uh, that is going to be fun. But before we do that, as I mentioned, uh, let's hit a couple items of news. And uh, let's start with the PGA Tour. This past weekend, uh, none other than world number one Brooks Kepka uh, won the CJ Cup at uh, the golf course at Nine Bridges in South Korea, which, uh, as I've mentioned, catapulted Brooks into the number one spot in the official world golf ranking. So congratulations to Brooks Kepka. Um, the win at the CJ Cup, a limited field event, paid $1.7 million. So a very, very nice little weekend for Brooks Kepka, but you know his his win you know with with the purses now getting so wild and, and ludicrously high it actually you know I, I was thinking of some things and comparing it to other sports and it, it's still amazing to me that you know with these purses being as large as they are and guys winning nearly two million dollars um you know for winning a golf tournament it still actually baffles me that golf is considered to be this crazy elite Illuminati type sport when in reality you know, these guys work as hard as any other athlete in terms of hours they're putting in and travel and everything else like that. And golfers just don't make nearly as much money as a lot of other professional athletes, especially when it comes to the cream of the crop. And this was kind of like reminding because, you know, with the with baseball going on, we're actually right in the middle of the 2018 World Series as we're recording this podcast. Uh, the, you know, the Red Sox are currently up on the Dodgers one game to nil, which is obviously excellent. Um and you think about some like starting pitchers and stuff out there that you're signing $150 million contracts are getting nearly $30 million a year and that are, you know, making 30 to 35 starts. And so these guys are out here getting paid what's basically almost a million dollars per start. And, 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 it, and it's all fully guaranteed. So whether they, they suck, they go an inning and a third, and they give up eight earned runs and they walk five guys, they're going to get their million bucks for their one day of work out there. And then for the other couple of days, they're just traveling with the team and, you know, working out and training and doing all the kind of other stuff you got to do. But it just it, it kind of reminded me that, like, golf is, I think, the only sport football could be put along the same way. Because in football, their contracts are not fully guaranteed. And if a guy stinks, you know, they can, you know, teams can ask them to renegotiate their contracts so they can cut them. But golf, man, golf, you got to play. You got to play to get paid. And it, it's a really interesting and cool wrinkle that I really enjoy about golf. Um, and even with these big purses, these guys grind, they work so hard, they travel all over the world, and uh, so as, as much as Brooks Kepka angers me sometimes with his just completely just misguided hate towards my favorite sports writer, um, it, it is good to see him get paid and, and to see all these guys. The other one that stood out was Gary Woodland, finished second at the CJ Cup, and he still made over a million dollars, so awesome, awesome stuff for Gary Woodland. Congratulations on the big payday. Um, you know, shooting 17 under par for a four-day tournament usually is pretty pretty good and oftentimes good enough to win, but uh, not when Brooks Koepka is going 21 under for a four-day tournament. So very, very impressive performance for Brooks Kepka. He will now head to Shanghai uh, to compete in the WGC HSBC Championship where four of the top five players in the world 
are going to be competing this weekend. I think that uh, is Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Rory McIlroy, and Justin Rose. So uh, very, very cool uh, golf fans over in China and Shanghai. Uh, specifically, should be pretty excited. They're going to have a really fun golf tournament with a lot of really talented guys in the field this weekend. And then that's actually a perfect little segue because the last PGA Tour note that I had was, uh, speaking of China, uh, this upcoming weekend is going to be the LPGA Tours, you know, Swing and Skirts LPGA Taiwan Championship. And uh, if you guys are not totally up to date on uh, international relations, uh, the island of Taiwan, you know, the people's, you know, is basically does not get along great with mainland China. It used to be a part of China, but it has kind of, uh, you know, separated itself into a somewhat sovereign nation that mainland China still tries to, you know, claim that they are in charge of. You know, I won't go into too much detail, but essentially the high ups in the Chinese government are encouraging and strongly recommending that all Chinese LPGA Tour players withdraw from this weekend's uh, tournament in Taiwan uh, as kind of a you know a, a real power sign to show them that they're not going to be setting foot on Taiwanese soil. They don't really uh, they don't really recognize Taiwan as its own country, and so yeah, it's always uh, always a little interesting when you start to see global politics and uh, international relations sort of leak into the world of sports. So that'll be something to uh, to watch. Uh, I think Shen Shen Fang, obviously, I don't know if she has withdrawn or if she is going to, but it'll be something interesting uh, to be watching this weekend. So cool stuff. Uh, Professional golf is kind of making its way uh, around the Far East right now, so uh, very cool for Asian golf fans. And, uh, you know, if you're up in the middle of the night, you got live golf to watch, which is which is always pretty awesome. So uh, that about puts a wrap on at least a PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour. Uh, if we're going to stay a little bit on professional golf, um, there was some news that came out uh, late last week that uh, none other than the Blue Monster uh, President Donnie's golf course down in Florida, Doral, is going to be set to host the Latino American Tour Finale, which uh, is just, you know, it's fantastic because it's obviously not in Latin America, so that right off the bat doesn't make any sense. Um, the PGA Tour itself was very critical of, uh, of Don uh, when he, you know, made his disparaging comments about Mexicans in general. And, uh, you know, as he kind of ramps up all of his uh, anti-immigration rhetoric. And so it was a very curious decision to see the PGA Tour opt to go back to a Trump property. Um, I I don't know whether or not that is going to be taking place uh, in the next year or so, but uh, the announcement has been made that Trump Doral will host the Latino American Tour finale. So uh, at the very least, it's a really good golf course. Um, So that, that will be fun to watch. Uh, another note as it pertains to professional golf um, is that Paul Azinger has been named as Johnny Miller's replacement as the lead golf analyst for NBC. Uh, very exciting. Paul Azinger is, is very, very good in the analyst chair. Um, you know, I at, at first I was thinking, I was like, man, why wouldn't they get Nick Faldo? But I was like, oh, wait, Nick Faldo's the lead analyst for CBS, which actually gets to, you know, broadcast more, or you know, I shouldn't say more, but gets to broadcast big, big, big golf tournaments which include the Masters and uh, and the PGA Championship. So very cool. I mean, uh, so Jim Nance, Nick Faldo will be a pair. And then uh, I believe uh, Paul Azinger will join, you know, Terry. And then, uh, oh, geez, why am, why am I forgetting my boy's name right now? Anyway, the, the NBC, uh, oh, man, this is really, really embarrassing. The name is on the tip of my tongue. If you can remember the name of NBC's lead golf commentator, I know there's Terry and then obviously the big boy, uh, oh, man. 
Look at me, just full brain fart right in the middle of the podcast. Anyway, I'll remember it at some point while I'm recording here, and then uh, if not, he will be the guy joining Paul Azinger in the booth for NBC Golf Broadcast going forward. And then uh, the last little bit of news, um, which is not really professional golf related, but seeing how they are a sponsor of many of professional golf's greatest players, I thought it was interesting that uh, Taylor Made is going to be skipping the 2019 PGA Merchandise Show. Now, if you are not familiar with the PGA Merchandise Show, it is a massive event that's held in Orlando every January where every manufacturer of golf clubs, apparel, whatnot, and then golf professionals pretty much from all over North America congregate. And uh, you know, a lot, this is where a lot of the companies debut their new lines of products for the year. It's a big networking event that, uh, according to uh, you know, a lot of friends and, and sources that go visit the event, has kind of been starting to dwindle and starting to seem less and less um, productive uh, over the past few years. Well, it's crazy because, you know, TaylorMade is probably the second biggest uh, club manufacturer in the world, at the very least in North America behind Callaway, and they're just electing to just straight up just not go, um, which is interesting. I, I'd be very, very curious to talk to somebody at TaylorMade to see what the reasoning was uh, behind them electing to not participate in the PGA Tour merchandise show for 2019, but... Just thought it was worth uh, bringing up because who knows, maybe it, it signals that something major is going to be happening with TaylorMade's clubs, uh, whether they decide to expand or reduce the amount of products they offer. I don't know. Or maybe they're just going through a whole new marketing strategy. Who the hell knows? Uh, but I did think that was a, an interesting little note that I wanted to share with you guys. And uh, that basically, that, that puts a wrap on, uh, on the news that I have for you guys today. So um, before... Uh, we go into my review of the South Course at Corica Park. I, w- I wanted to take this opportunity to remind all of you guys that if you are looking for a great deal on golf, I invite you guys to go visit golfguide.net and uh, find you know several dozen golf courses there where we uh, you know Golf Guide offers discounts up to seventy percent. Most of them so, you know, somewhere in the ballpark of twenty-five to fifty percent off greens fees at golf courses all over Northern California, and then they've also got a handful of them uh, up in the Reno, Tahoe area on the Nevada side of the state line, uh, Southern Oregon, and a couple in Southern California as well. So when you go to golfguide.net, use the promo code GGPODCAST, that's G-G as in Golf Guide Podcast, and save an extra 10% off any purchase you make of $25 or more. All right, again, promo code GGPODCAST at golfguide.net. And, you know, hey, let, let Golf Guide help you find the golf you need, all right? There's golf that you want to go play, but there's sometimes there's golf that you need to play. And Golf Guide wants to help you find that out. So one more time, golfguide.net, promo code GGPODCAST, save 10%. Okay. All right. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the round of golf that I played a couple of days ago. On Monday, I was able to finally make it out to Alameda to play the new South Course at Corica Park, uh, formerly the Chuck Corica or Chuck Corica Golf Complex, which is located on the island of Alameda, which uh, borders Oakland, California, uh, right next to the Oakland Airport. And uh, you know, I had heard a lot uh, about this golf course. I mean, w- I talked about it on last week's podcast. It's uh, been floated out as a potential venue for a PGA Tour event starting in 2019, one that would be hosted uh, by one Wardell Stephen Curry. Um and so, you know, having knowing all this, having heard a lot about it, I kind of wanted to go check it out for myself and see what all the fuss was about. Um, the golf course itself has really been promoting itself as a Australian sandbelt style kind of golf course 
which to me at first just seemed crazy because, like, I mean, where where in America, other than Bannon Dunes, <laughs> are you going to find, like, sandbelt-style courses? Um, and so it, I was just very curious to go see it with my own eyes, um, test it out, and kind of give, you know, bring you guys some, some of my feedback from what the golf course was like. And, uh, you know, before I go into more detail, I'll, I'll just kind of come out and bury my own lead. A ton of fun. Really, really fun golf course. As far as municipal, public golf goes, um, it's a win. It's a huge win. It's a lot of fun. Um, the golf course, you know, for being as fresh and as new as it is, is in pretty darn good shape. Um, and I, I would certainly recommend a round out at Corica Park South Course. Uh, for anybody that's looking for a good, you know, round of golf in the Bay Area, I think, you know, for non-Alameda residents, I think greens fees are right around 55 or 60 bucks, which... Uh, is pretty darn manageable, especially when you consider the the quality of golf that you're going to get to go play. So now I will go into a little bit more detail. Um, as I mentioned, they they really build this as an Australian sandbelt style course. So something like you would see if you went to go down and play Royal Melbourne or uh, Barnbogle or you know any of those courses that you see pictures of on social media that just look like the most amazing linksy dunes golf courses all in this perfect stretch of like sand belt in Southern Australia, kind of near around Melbourne. And, um, you know, I, I kind of see what they were trying to communicate. Uh, did I feel like I was playing golf, uh, within 200 miles of the Australian sand belt? No, no, I did not. <laughs> um, it definitely, you know, I think a lot of the reasoning that they're saying that is because, the bunkering is meant, you know, the shape of the bunkering is meant to kind of resemble like a Royal Melbourne, you know, Mackenzie-ish sort of, uh, you know, bunker shapes and complexes. Uh, I'd say that's pretty much where it ends. And that's not to say that it's not a good golf course, because it is. Um, and it definitely has some modern links, aesthetics and, you know, uh, stylings to it that really make it playable for a wide variety of golf, you know, golfers at a, at a wide variety of skills. So, um, like I said, the, the bunkering out there is pretty cool. I, I did find it was a little strange that with it being as fresh as it is. Um, I'm already starting to see a little bit of grass grow in the bunkers, but that, that's the other thing is like for a public golf course, this place has so many bunkers and at a lot of public, especially municipal golf courses, you actually over the years will see sand traps get eliminated and taken out uh, for a couple of different reasons. One, for pace of play. Uh, like the, the golf course that I grew up playing and I worked at for throughout high school at Bennett Valley in Santa Rosa, California, they don't even have fairway bunkers anymore. And it's for, like I said, two reasons. One is to increase the pace of play. You know, uh, when you have fairway bunkers out there, if you have really hacky golfers, uh, hitting it in the sand trap is going to take them a lot longer to get around the golf course. They got to get in there. They got to figure out how to get it out. A lot of times it's going to take them, you know, a multitude of strokes to actually get out of it. They got to rake it and then they got to go. So that's reason one. And number two, sand traps vastly increase the cost of maintenance for golf courses. So um, while there is a little bit of grass you can kind of see creeping through some of the sand, the fact that the designers of this golf course were ambitious enough and thought that it was worth uh, keeping the strategic integrity of the golf course, um, you know, the, the level of it very high that they wanted to make sure they had all those fairway bunkers and everything else like that. I think it's perfectly fine. A little grass in the bunker, you know, for hacks like me, it's only going to help. I, I like having a little bit extra grass to hit off of. So um, that was cool. If, you know, if you're someone out there that plays a lot of private golf that likes pristine, perfect looking golf courses, it might bother you a little bit. But, you know, in overall, the way that it makes the golf course play uh, didn't have any effect whatsoever. So that, that was pretty cool. 
the course conditionings themselves, um, again, for having just uh, seeded the whole place within the last year, it's playing pretty damn good. I was The one thing that I actually was really impressed by was the greens out there were rolling nice. They're fast, um, but not, you know, not not tabletop quick, but fast. Uh, a lot of sand out there. I know they capped the place off with, I don't even know how many layers of sand uh, during construction. Um, you know, it's supposed to have a very linksy feel to it where you're bumping and running the ball a lot. I found that the ball wasn't running a ton in the fairways um, yet. I, I, I can I know I had a same you know I had a very similar experience the very first time I played the new Poppy Hills uh, a little while back where the ball wasn't really bumping and running around the greens and in the fairways as much uh, as you would get at you know links courses in the UK or at abandoned dunes or something like that. Um, but the fescue grass there is still kind of really growing in and I could see maybe a year or two from now. Uh, the fairway is actually running pretty quick. So just want to give those a little bit of time. Uh, the greens themselves, the one thing that was they were not shy about and is actually really cool is the greens out there are massive. Um, they've got to be some of the biggest greens in the Bay Area. Um, you know, there was a few of them. I think I posted a story on Instagram when I was out there, which, by the way, if you were following my story on Instagram when I was out there, I apologize. I have no fucking idea how, how, how to do an Instagram story. Uh, so I ended up just basically taking a lot of pictures and then I think posting them out there. Uh, so yeah, my apologies, but uh, I digress. Um, th- some of the greens out there were massive. I mean, you had certain green complexes that were you know easily a half acre, um, which was really, really wild. It just gives so much variety and so many options in terms of pin placements and different ways you're going to be playing those golf holes out there. That uh, really, really cool to see greens that large, and they weren't like gnarly. You know, like sometimes, like if you, if you go to Old McDonald, is, is the example that I always use with all my buddies who go on the trip with me every year. Um, you know, those greens are obviously the biggest ones in America, um, but there also is some fucking crazy slopes out of the greens at old, up at Old McDonald. Um, not really the case at Corica Park. Um, there definitely was some swaths and swales and uh, some pretty good movement, but nothing, nothing crazy where you're going to look at it and be like, well, that's kind of fucked up. Like n- nothing, nothing like that. Just big fun greens um, that I think are a lot of Bay Area golfers are going to find themselves really, really enjoying um, the size and the intricacy of some of those greens up out there. So uh, very, very well done. Uh, the golf course itself um, supposedly was designed by Reese Jones. You know, I have my doubts about how much time Reese actually spent out on the golf course designing it. Uh, from everything that I've been hearing, uh, it was uh, George Kelly, the CEO of Greenway Golf, who kind of led the restoration out there, who did most of the design work, which, again, and this is, you know, I'm not trying to purposely shit on Reese Jones here, but, you know, that that is the case with a lot of golf course architects that have been around for a while, especially the Jones brothers. You know, between Reese Jones and Robert Trent Jones Jr., um, you know, they're probably on average spending two days at any of the golf courses that they, quote-unquote, designed. Um, it's usually their, you know, lead work associates, uh, that are doing all of the leg work. And in this particular instance with Corica Park, uh, I believe it was the Greenway golf team that pretty much did most of the design work. They obviously built it, they seeded it in, and now they're kind of the ones running the golf course. So um, they've done a really good job so far. And uh, when I was out there, I got paired up with a couple of guys who are members at a private club in the East Bay that were a ton of fun, had a couple of beers with them. Uh, also uh, played, got matched up with a freelance writer who had been out there a couple times. And the reviews from the guys in my group were nothing but positive they all really really enjoyed themselves they thought it was a ton of fun 
Um, and overall, just a great golfing experience that's not similar to anything else you're getting in the Bay Area right now. For, so for that reason alone, it's a huge win, and I would certainly recommend anybody that's a fan of fun golf to go out and give it uh, give it a try. I mean, th- there's a couple holes out there where, you know, like I think it's the fourth hole. Uh, it's like a 460-yard par 4, okay? Long par 4, but, you know, there's no force carry. The fairway is probably 60 yards wide. It's a shared fairway with another par- with a par 5 that's coming in the opposite direction to the right. So you have the entire world to hit your drive off the tee. I mean, it's a long hole, but it's not long and narrow. You know, it, it's it's one of those things where I noticed in the golf course that if a hole out there is really long, they're going to give you a lot of width to play with so you can really try to swing away and get it out there. And vice versa, for some of the short par 4s they have out there, those are where you're going to find some of the more narrow landing areas on the golf course where they're going to tell you, hey, if you want to hit driver, great, but, you know, you're going to have to really execute. I mean, you got plenty. You can hit a 7-iron and still have, you know, an 8-iron into the hole if you want. Um, but, you know, we're going to make it a little challenging. And, and those very basic elementary design aspects were really cool. Um, obviously basic, like I said, but when you actually put it into practice and you have something like that available for public golfers, it was really, really cool, and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I'm looking forward to getting back out there and, and playing it again. My golf swing is a goddamn disaster right now. And so, you know, being able to get back out there, um, you know, not not playing completely terrible golf would be a lot of fun. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. So if you guys have any additional questions about my experience at Corica Park or you just have questions in general uh, about the golf course, I would encourage you guys to uh, to reach out to me uh, at KSurlo on Twitter or at Kyle at golfguide.net is my email. Be more than happy to uh, to take any questions you guys might have. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to get out there soon. And if I do. I'll try to let y'all know when I'm going to be there, so maybe we can all play uh, play together. Um, but that put up, let's say that about puts a wrap on my uh, my stuff for Corica Park. Uh, the last thing that I'm going to go over before I leave you all today is that uh, tomorrow morning, I am going to be jumping in my vehicle, and I'm going to be driving eight hours north to the brand new Links in Retreat at Sylvie's Valley Ranch. Uh, the new Dan Hickson design reversible 18-hole golf course in eastern Oregon is just about 48 hours away from me uh, stepping up to the first tee and giving it a go. So I'm going to be up there scouting the whole place out, ch- learning everything there is to know about Sylvie's Rally Ranch so I can come back to you guys with a full field report next week. Um, if you guys are listening to this podcast today on a Wednesday or tomorrow Thursday and you have anything you want to know about Sylvie's or anything that you're curious about, uh, the resort, use that same information at KSurlo on Twitter or Kyle at golfguy.net via email and let me know. If you have any questions or things that you want me to look out for, I will certainly keep my eyes peeled for you. And then, like I said, I'll come back with all, you know, answer any of your questions and then also give a full field report on Sylvie's Valley Ranch on next week's podcast. So, uh, with that all being said, I hope you guys have a wonderful day. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Golf Guide podcast. And uh, until next week, everybody. Mahalo.